coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our great friends at MyBookie. You guys can still take advantage of two great promo deals by signing up for a brand new account at mybookie.ag. You can use our promo code UGA to get a 50% bonus on your first deposit with a playthrough. But if you want to avoid that playthrough, you can use the new code 200CASH to get a 10% bonus on top of your first deposit, a cash bonus up to $200 that does not involve a playthrough. So two great deals for you guys to choose from. So make the choice that's best for you and sign up at mybookie.ag today. But all right, guys, I am back today with another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. I guess I should remind you who I am. I am your host, Tyler, for all of you new listeners. And for all of you who have been around for a while, you know this is the time of the week during a game week where I am typically doing our deep dive game preview into this week's opponent. However, with that opponent being the Vanderbilt Commodores, who, let's be real, guys, are the worst team in the SEC, I've been doing this for nine years. I know there might be three of you out there, maybe possibly three of you, that would be remotely interested in sitting here listening to a 45-minute to an hour-long deep dive preview of the Vanderbilt Commodores. I know that's not something that the vast majority of you are interested in. I know that from experience. So with that in mind, I am going to call a bit of an audible today. I'm still going to do a Vandy preview, at least some semblance of a Vandy preview, because this is an SEC team. This is not UT Martin. This is not Ball State. This is an SEC team, and I want to give you at least a little bit of insight into Vanderbilt, whether you really care all that much or not. I feel a, a sense of responsibility to do that. So I'm going to do it, at least a little bit, but I'm going to save that for the back half of the show. To open things up today, I'm going to bring you guys volume three of our Glory UGA SEC power rankings. We are now halfway through the college ball schedule, at least for most teams. For Georgia, we're halfway through. We've got six games. I know we have the bye week coming up, but we are essentially halfway through the regular season. And now we have plenty of data points to give you guys a much more accurate power ranking of the SEC right now as it is currently constituted. We did this after week one, I think maybe after week three? Heading into the UAB game maybe was the last time that we did this, but now we've seen all these teams a lot more and we have a lot more information to operate off of, so it is now time to update these SEC power rankings. So let's start the bottom, guys. I don't want to spend too much time on the bottom two teams because I think it's pretty clear that it is Vanderbilt and Mississippi State as it has been in these power rankings since volume one. It's always been Vandy. It's always Mississippi State at number 14 and 13. We're going to talk more about Vandy here in a few minutes. I don't want to spend any time on them. They're the worst in the league. Let's just say that. Mississippi State is not a good football team, guys. I think Mississippi State has a very realistic chance to go 0-8 in the SEC. I don't know who they're going to beat right now. I think they're going to be underdogs in every game that they're going to play against a conference opponent, and I do not expect them to find a way to pull an upset. Anything is possible. Will Rogers is still a guy who's going to break just about every SEC passing record at some point this year, so he gives them a puncher's chance, but as I've said since the beginning of the season, it stands true, Mississippi State. When they decide to make the transition from the air raid to this pro-style offense they're trying to run, it was always going to be a disaster. It was never going to work out because they did not have the personnel to do it. Even Will Rogers, as good as he has been throughout his career at Mississippi State, 
is not a fit to play that system, nor has he ever played in his entire life. So it's going to be a big transition for him. Now, I will give them credit. They've kind of realized, really going back to the South Carolina game a couple weeks ago, they realized, okay, we're not going to be able to do what we want to do this year with uh, trying to run the ball at people. We're just not going to be able to do that against SEC opponents. So they just decided to finally let Will Rogers drop back and just chuck the football. Just throw the ball and he threw for 400-plus yards against South Carolina. They almost won that game because they finally let him do that. But they're just going to be outmanned in every single game. It's too little too late to try to really adjust their offense too much right now. They're not going to win an SEC game. I think it would be a surprise to me if they did win an SEC game. So I've got them coming at number 13, just slightly ahead of the Vanderbilt Commodores. Coming in at number 12 is a team that we have already faced and already defeated here in Athens back in week three. That would be the South Carolina Gamecocks. This is a team that I think has a really significant chance to miss a bowl this year, which shouldn't happen. It should not happen when they've gotten the type of quarterback play that they have gotten out of Spencer Rattler this year. I really believe that guy is working himself into a borderline first-round NFL draft pick with the way that he has played this year, especially behind that porous offensive line and just a generally non-existent run game. But the Cox are 2-3 and three right now, guys. They're 1-2 and two in the SEC with that one win coming against Mississippi State, 37-30 win a couple weekends ago. They got blown out by Tennessee on the road, which we all expected that to happen. They, they put up a little bit of fight in the first half, but they just don't have the horses right now to be able to contend in a game like that on the road in a place like Knoxville when that place was out for blood. They were off this week, but I want you to listen to the, to the rest of their slate, guys. You tell me if they're going to get to six wins. They got two wins right now. They got Florida at home this week. They have a chance to maybe get that win with Carolina coming off the bye. It's in Columbia. There's a shot. It would not shock me if they got that win. Now, I will say I think Florida is just far better up front right now. I think that they're going to control the lines of scrimmage, and I I just have a difficult time imagining that South Carolina is going to be able to run the ball much on that Florida defense front. I know what Kentucky did, but this is not the Kentucky ground game. They're talking about with South Carolina. The offensive line might be the second worst in the league behind Vanderbilt. It's very, very bad right now. So the, maybe they get Florida. I would still probably give Florida a very slight edge there right now. But then they got to go to Missouri. They're not going to win that football game, not the way Missouri's playing right now. They're not winning at Texas A&M, so I think that's probably three losses. I think that's at least two losses right there. They'll beat Jacksonville State at home. They'll beat Vanderbilt at home. Kentucky at home. I think Kentucky's a better football team. I know they have issues throwing the football right now. I just think Kentucky is just like Florida. I think they'll dominate the lines of scrimmage in that game. I don't think South Carolina will be able to do enough to win that game. Wouldn't be shocking, I guess, if they won that game. I just wouldn't expect them to right now. And then they get Clemson at home. Clemson is not a vintage Clemson team. They haven't been for a couple of years now. But I think Clemson is better than South Carolina. They have better players. So there are two wins right now. I'll give them Jacksonville State. I'll give them Vanderbilt. That's four. And that means they're going to have to get, I mean, I don't I don't think they're going to be Missouri. I, I call that a loss right now. A&M is a loss. I guess you could say toss-up games would be Florida at home. I guess Kentucky at home. Maybe Clemson, but not really. Like they're going to have to get two out of three of Florida, Kentucky, and Clemson at home. Because I don't think they're winning at Missouri. I don't think they're winning at A&M. So can they do that and get to a bowl game? I think that's unlikely. They really don't have any playmakers defensively. As I keep saying, their offensive line is an absolute disaster this year. They can't protect Spencer Rattler. They cannot run the football. Mario Anderson has given a little bit of a shot in the arm at running back. He's a big bruising type running back. But their offensive line is still not good. You just can't win in the SEC when you're that weak on the lines of scrimmage. Xavier Leggett has been awesome for them. Spencer Rattler again has been awesome for them. The skill talent out wide has been pretty good for them, but it just does not matter when you're that bad on the lines of scrimmage. You have no playmakers defensively. So I've got South Carolina. I mean, I think there's a pretty big gap between Mississippi State, Vanderbilt, and then the next tier, but South Carolina would probably be the bottom of that next tier for me. Coming at number 11 is another team that we have already faced and defeated, although it was a close one. 
I've got the Auburn Tigers. And I know this seems crazy that the team that I, one of the teams I have up at the top, which would be Georgia, almost lost to one of the teams I've got at number 11, which would be Auburn. And it's down 14-3, the team that I just went over in South Carolina at the half. But Auburn is just not there yet from a personnel standpoint. They've got some solid players and spots. I think Eugene Asante at, at linebacker is a really, really talented player. When they're healthy in the secondary, I think they have a really strong secondary. I think Jarquez Hunter is a good back, but we know it's a disaster in the passing game. That's that quarterback and wide receiver. They just don't have the guys right now. They gave us one hell of a fight for a couple reasons. Number one, they were running a lot of things offensively that we had not really seen. They had a really good plan for us. They were essentially running a version of an option offense, which we were, I'm not going to say that we were completely unprepared for, but there were some things that they were doing that we were not prepared for. Hugh Freeze did a really good job, along with offense coordinator Phil Montgomery, of scheming together, putting together a plan that would give us issues. So they knew they would not be able to run the football right at us. They don't have the offensive line for that. That's just not what they're going to do. But they did a good job of putting us in conflict, creating some misdirection, got our eyes in the wrong spot, and they attacked us well there. But ultimately, we just had better players, and that's going to be the case against most of the teams that they play this year. And if they do not figure out a way to throw the football to some degree, this is another team that might not make a bowl game. I had them in the preseason going 6-6. Six and six. I liked a lot of things that they did in the transfer portal, but Peyton Thorne, I didn't expect him to be a superstar. I thought him to be I thought he would be competent. And he hasn't been as a passer. He just simply has not been. I do think they'll get to a bowl, though. I mean, you look at their schedule. They've got Mississippi State at home. They should win that game. They're at Vandy, so that certainly helps. They should win that game. And they also have New Mexico State before they play Alabama. So that should be three more wins right now. They're at three and two. Getting that win over Cal, that was able to kind of propel them into a spot to where they're going to make a bowl. So yeah, I think they'll get to a bowl unless they get upset by Mississippi State or Vandy, which I don't think's going to happen, but they're not going to beat LSU. They're not going to win at LSU. I don't think they're going to beat Ole Miss at home. I don't. I know Arkansas is struggling, man. Trust me. I know that, but I don't think that they're going to go to Fayetteville and win that game. I don't think they're going to beat Alabama. So I think six and six, which is what I predicted them to be in the preseason. I think that's about right for them. If Peyton Thorne was a guy that would have been competent at quarterback, like I thought he would be. I thought seven wins might be possible and eight wins, man, if like things really, really went their way and they pulled an upset here or there, but he just hasn't been. Again, he just hasn't been a competent passer. They don't have the skill talent at, at wide receiver to really help him out there. So six and six is going to be an upgrade for them based off where they were under Brian Harson. It's a good, solid first year for Hugh Freeze. I'm sure he wanted to maybe take a little bit further of a step than that, but I'm sure the Auburn faithful will take that and call it success. They play Georgia close, and we'll see what happens with Alabama. Maybe they'll play them close. They typically do when they get them at home, but they're not a particularly good football team, and I've got them coming in at number 11. But all right, moving inside the top 10, I've got the Florida Gators. They came in at number nine in volume two, so I'm dropping them a spot here, but I feel about the same about Florida as I did in the preseason. I will say I think Graham Mertz has been more competent, a little bit more solid than I thought that he would be. He hasn't been a liability. He has certainly not gone out and won football games for them, and that's not what this guy is. He is not going to go out there and win football games for them. But at Wisconsin, there were multiple games where I would say that he lost for them because he just could not complete passes and was making horrible decisions, throwing interceptions. And to his credit, at Florida, to this point, he has not done that. He's thrown for a little under 1,500 yards, nine touchdowns, two interceptions. Now, his QBR is not great, only 65.3, because he's not pushing the ball down the field. They are not pushing the ball down the field at all, because they don't really have the receivers to be able to do that. Right now, he's averaging 8.4 yards per attempt, but that's skewed by what he has done against some of the lesser competition, some of those 
non-Power 5 opponents. And you look at what he's done against Power 5 opponents, it has not been especially impressive. 6.9 yards per attempt against Tennessee, 7.1 yards per attempt against Vanderbilt, 7.5 yards per attempt against Utah. Again, he's been competent. He hasn't killed them, but he's not winning games for them, and that's just not going to happen because he doesn't have that in him right now based off what I've seen from him. Could he develop into that? Maybe. I mean, he's only a junior right now. I guess he could come back next year. We'll see what happens there. They also don't really have the receiving talent. They have some young guys who are interesting, Eugene Wilson, Andy Jean. Those guys, as, as they continue to grow and develop, will be good players for them. They're just not there right now. Ricky Pearsall is a really good, solid player for them, but he's had to be Mr. Everything for them offensively, and he's just not that kind of alpha guy. So he's been solid, and that's why I think that Florida might win a game or maybe two if things fall their way more than I thought they would in the preseason. But this is still a team that is not a guarantee to make a bowl this year. Now, I had them going four and eight, maybe five and seven have been more realistic. They have a shot to get to six wins. Beating Tennessee changed things. That was not a game that I expect them to be able to win, but they got it. Got to give them credit there. Now they've got to go to South Carolina this weekend. I think they can win that game. Again, I said earlier, I would I would pick them right now to win that game, but it's certainly not a done deal. I think South Carolina, if Spencer Rattler plays a, has one of those just games where he just lights out, even, even if Florida can control line of scrimmage, maybe Rattler finds a way to will them to victory. Williams-Brice can be a tough place to play, so maybe Carolina wins the game. I'd probably give Florida that game right now. They also have Arkansas at home. Arkansas is not playing really well. We Again, we know that. Trust me, I do know that, but... Arkansas, I think, is actually a better team than, than Florida. To get them in the swamp, that certainly helps. We'll see if that's a night game, a noon game. We'll see. That might have an impact on, on how that game ultimately turns out. But I don't think they're going to beat us. They're not winning at LSU. I don't think they're going to win at Missouri the way Missouri's playing right now. And I certainly do not think they're going to beat Florida State. So they really have to beat South Carolina and Arkansas. Because if they do not get those two wins, they are not going to go to a bowl. I think they'll probably get one of those wins. I think five and seven is where I still predict them to be right now. Maybe a game better than I had them at four and eight. Could they win both those games? Yes, they could win. But I think six and six is the ultimate ceiling for this team. They're playing fairly good football defensively with the Kentucky game notwithstanding, which they just got run flat over in that game. Some really bad run fit stuff. They just weren't interested in that game. They, they, they showed up in that game. I don't think that they were ready to get punched in the mouth, and they got punched in the face. That was not the same Florida defense that I saw against Tennessee. It was almost like shock and awe by Ray Davis, and they could just never recover. They got the knockout blow early, and they were staggering all game, and they got knocked out. And when they get behind like that, Florida does not have the personal offensively right now to be able to mount that comeback. They just don't unless you help them out, and Kentucky did not help them out. Kentucky kept pouring it on, kept running the football down their throat, and Florida had no chance, and that's why they lost by essentially three touchdowns. So Florida's a little bit better than I thought they would be. I'll give them credit, but they're still not a good football team. They have a shot to make a bowl, but they got to win those two games. they got to beat South Carolina this weekend on the road, and they got to find a way to beat Arkansas at home. If they can get those two wins, they go to a bowl game. If not, if they only get one of them, I think they end up 5-7. and seven. So I got them at number 10. Inside the top 10 now. I've got the Arkansas Razorbacks. I don't know what to say about Arkansas, guys. This is a team that's not bad, but they're not good either. They're they're they're, they're not good at anything right now. They're they're solid-ish. They are coming close to beating good teams. They almost beat LSU in Baton Rouge a couple weeks ago. That was a heck of an effort. They almost beat Ole Miss this past weekend. That was another heck of an effort. They just weren't good enough 
to get it done at the end of the day. The real problem for them right now is they are really struggling to run the football. They're moving some things around the line on the offensive line. They're shuffling guys around. It's just not Arkansas football. I think one thing that I underestimated with them, and I'll take ownership of this, I underestimated the downgrade it would be going from Kendall Bryles, that offense coordinator, to Dan Enos. Enos has been a good coordinator before, but he is not meshing with this team. He's not maximizing their skill sets and trying to force them to do some things that I don't think that they're all that well equipped to do. They've really gotten away from the quarterback run game, which is a big part of what made KJ Jefferson a successful quarterback for Arkansas. It's a big part of what their identity had been. They're still running him some, but not nearly enough in my estimation. That's a big part of what made Raheem Sanders one of the best running backs in the SEC. Now, he's been banged up and missed a couple of games. And that certainly hurt them. He did not play against LSU. If he plays against LSU, did they win? They got a shot, man. They got a real shot to win that game, but he didn't play. It is what it is. He did play against Ole Miss and didn't really make much of an impact. Because again, I don't think that they are running KJ enough. He's a big physical dude that can grind out yards. And they're behind the chains far too often. And KJ Jefferson and that offense, they're not built to consistently convert third downs when they're behind the chains. KJ Jefferson is not that kind of passer. He's good off play action. He's a good thrower when they're ahead of the chains, when teams aren't sitting back and, and expecting passes, having to go through reads and progressions. If he has got simple reads and can, gets man coverage, yeah, he can complete some passes. He's got a good, solid arm. He has improved as a thrower this year, but he's still not that kind of guy. He has to have the run game to operate off of in order to be an effective passer. And right now, the run game is not working. I think Dan Enos is a big part of why it's not working. I don't think that he is using their skill set, their talent, the way that it should be, honestly. Offensive line has also not been performing well, which is somewhat surprising. That should have been a good offensive line coming into the year. They've been much better defensively. They were terrible last year, especially against the past. They were so banged up in the secondary. They have fixed that. That They've been good. They've been not, I wouldn't say great, but I mean, they held Ole Miss. That's an Ole Miss offense that put up 700 yards the week before against LSU. They held that Ole Miss offense to 27 points and 349 total yards. Problem is, they got held to 36 yards rushing by Ole Miss, who's not good on defense. They just gave up 650 to LSU. And KJ Jefferson, as I, I often say, just makes catastrophic decisions. I mean, he threw an interception last night that I, I just don't even know, man. I, I don't even understand how that was possible, the way he threw that ball. I just don't understand. I don't understand. So I know that none of you care about Arkansas, and I just always talk about them because I keep putting my faith in them because they should be, they should win these games. They're, they're so much better than their record says. And I think that's a really big indictment of Sam Pittman. They are better than what their record said last year. They are better than what their record says this year. And it doesn't matter. I guess you are what your record says you are. But again, they lost four games by nine combined points last year. This year, it hadn't been quite that drastic. But I mean, they lose Ole Miss by a touchdown. They lose to LSU on the road in Baton Rouge by three points. They lose to BYU by a touchdown. And again, they absolutely dominated that game against BYU. They outgained them 424 to 281 and then just self-destructed. They just self-destructed in the fourth quarter down the stretch and they lost a the game they had absolutely no business losing to. So right now you look at Arkansas's record and they're sitting there at two and four. And it's like, man, they're terrible. They're not terrible. They're not. They're not good. They're not good, but they're not terrible. Now they're gonna lose to Alabama. And here's the thing: I, I did not expect them to be LSU. I didn't expect them to be AM. I didn't expect them to be Ole Miss this year. I expected them to be BYU. That game absolutely killed me. I didn't expect them to be Alabama. I knew there was a four-game stretch in the middle of the year. LSU, AM, Ole Miss, and Alabama, four games in a row that they had away from home. That 
Anim game is a neutral site game. I do, I felt like they would lose every one of those games, but I thought they would beat BYU. I thought they could beat Mississippi State at home. I actually still think they can get Florida. I think they beat Auburn at home, FIU. I thought they could get Missouri at home, but Missouri looks like a much better football team than I expected them to be, so I don't know if they get that one. What they're going to have to do, they're going to lose to Alabama this week, and then for me to get my wins out, they're going to have to win out, and they can do it because the schedule is light down the stretch. The one that there's two that concern me at Florida and Missouri at home. I, I they're gonna I, they're gonna beat Mississippi State. They're gonna beat Auburn. They're gonna beat FIU. Can they get those two wins for me? Probably not. I mean, why would I trust them? I don't know. I don't know. I keep trusting them for some reason, but yeah. I mean, I, I I'm a, I'm well aware, guys, that they're not a great football team. So they get, they're coming at number nine. They are what they are. Coming at number eight is a team that I still think is gonna end up probably like nine and three ish. The Kentucky Wildcats. They did not look good last night. They did not. And look, I don't want to call Kentucky frauds. I tried to intimate as much that last week without saying they're frauds. I don't think they're frauds. I don't think Kentucky is like really truly like 10 and 2, 9 and 3 good, but their schedule sets up really nicely for them. They have to play Alabama later in the year. They're not going to win that football game. In Louisville, you know, we saw them beat Notre Dame. That's a really good football team. They have to play them in Louisville. That's probably right now you would say it's a loss, although that's a game Kentucky could win. But outside of that, I think they can win every other game on their schedule. I know Tennessee is a tough matchup for them, but that's in Lexington. Tennessee is not the Tennessee of last year. That's a game that, that Kentucky can win. They're, I think they're going to beat South Carolina. They've already beaten Florida. They're going to beat Mississippi State. I think this is a team that probably ends up 9-3, and I'd say 8-4 and four at worst, but I don't think they're quite as good as that final record's ultimately going to say they are because they can't throw the football. I expected Devin Leary to be a better passer of the football this year for Kentucky than he has been. Maybe he will develop a little bit more and he'll get that passing game going. I've seen a guy do it. I mean, two years ago, guys, the guy threw 35 touchdowns and five interceptions for NC State. I've seen the guy be a very successful quarterback at the Power 5 level. It just has not clicked for them this year. I think they're better receiver than, certainly better than what he had at NC State. And it's just not clicking right now. It's weird with the better receivers than he's had. He has a better running game than he had because they, they haven't been around the football for years at NC State. So it's kind of baffling to me why he has not been better. I mean, I know it's a new system. You're transitioning. I get that, but weird. It's a very weird situation. I mean, there was one, that one play in that game on Saturday night against us in the first quarter, I think the first drive, where that's a touchdown, man. Guy was open. They, it's a little smash route. We had a, they had a little underneath route and put our corner in conflict. That guy was open. It's probably a touchdown, at least a huge gain. And he just missed it. He just can't miss those kind of throws. So until he improves, I cannot move Kentucky higher than middle of the pack right now. If he can start to turn it on and get the passing game going a little bit, I mean, could certainly be a, a top five or six team. But right now, until I see that, I, I can't go much higher than that. I still think they're good defensively. Obviously, what we did last night to them notwithstanding. But yeah, I got Kentucky coming in at number eight. All right, guys, that's about the halfway point. So we're going to stop and take a quick break here. I do want to remind you really quickly about our good friends at my bookie. Guys, my bookie is clearly the best sportsbook option for you. When your money's on the line, you're putting your money out there, you might you want to make sure you choose a trusted sportsbook that gives you tools to win like my bookie does. In my bookie, guys, it doesn't matter if Georgia's up or down, whoever you're betting on, it doesn't matter if they're up or down, you can easily cash out or bet the game live. If you're not sure ahead of time, just watch it live, get a feel for it, bet live and come out on the winning side. And my bookie's got a ton of options for you guys. Daily odds boost, same game parlays. You can take advantage of huge prize pool contests. Plus, MyBookie now with their 200 cash promo code has a cash bonus that lets you deposit and withdraw 
quick. Again, just use promo code 200 cash. You're going to sign up for a brand new account at mybookie.ag to claim up to $200 in cash, a 10% cash bonus. Or you can still use our exclusive promo code UGA to get a 50% bonus on your first deposit. And make sure, guys, try the MyBookie money back to grab a potential Super Bowl front runner at long shot odds. Plus 38,000 on the Eagles and Chiefs. Guys, you're not going to find odds like that anywhere else. So bet anything. Anytime, anywhere, only with my bookie. All right, let's keep this thing rolling. Let's go to number seven in our Glory UGA SEC Power Rankings, volume four of our Glory UGA SEC Power Rankings. Coming in number seven, I've got the Tennessee Volunteers. Now, this is a team that has pretty steadily fallen down our SEC Power Rankings through the season. I think they started at number three or four. They were number four in volume two, which was before the Florida loss, of course, but they are no longer number number four, obviously. They are down at number seven. Look, Tennessee guys, they are not the Tennessee of last year. It's really that simple. And it's exactly what I thought coming this season. When we did our Tennessee Scott Enemy episode. I laid it out for you guys. I thought that they would be better than they are. I thought they'd be like a nine and three team. Okay. I don't think they're gonna get to nine and three right now. I think maybe eight and four. But my thought process behind Tennessee, not thinking they were gonna be a true national title contender like their fan base thought that they would be, is I thought it was irrational to expect that to be the case for them to expect to be better. When you're downgraded at quarterback, because I felt it was pretty clear that Joe Milton was a downgrade at quarterback from Hinton Hooker, because if he wasn't, then um, why did he get beat out by Hinton Hooker two years ago? And why was he sitting on the bench behind him last year? This just makes sense, right? It's common sense. Sometimes that eludes people that live on and around old Rocky Top, but that didn't make sense to me. And then on top of that, you're losing the Bolitnikoff Award winner wide receiver in Jalen Hyatt, who was the perfect fit for what Josh Heupel wants in his slot receiver, which is truly, if you have an elite slot receiver there, that's one of the premier playmaking positions in all college football in that Josh Heupel offense, that slot receiver position. And they were replacing him with a dude named Squirrel White, who was fine last year, but he's not Jalen Hyde. He never was. He's never going to be. That's just not what he is. And on top of that, you lose Cedric Tillman, and you're not replacing them with hot shot transfers or hot shot freshmen. You're replacing them with a bunch of guys who've been role players their entire careers. You're know, all of a sudden expecting them to become big-time playmakers. Since why would I expect that? They've never been that. Never. We're not talking about like a one-year sample size. These guys have been here for a while, and they've never been that. So they're going to magically become that this year with, with a lesser quarterback than they had to work with last year. It was irrational. It was always irrational. But saying that, I thought they were still good enough to get to 9-3. and three. I don't know. I did not expect them to lose to Florida. That's a game that, that still is surprising to me. Florida just owned them on the lines of scrimmage. They were able to do to them what we did at Tennessee last year, and that's why we've always been like kryptonite to Tennessee with Josh Heupel there. They were able to stop their run game with even numbers in the box and keep a too high safety shell and limit their explosive pass plays. And even when they've gotten opportunities for explosive pass plays, Joe Milton is Joe Milton. He's just, well, I thought he was going to be. He can throw the ball 5 million miles, but accuracy is, a, is an issue for him. Going through progressions is an issue for him. And this is a team that's got, they got A&M at home this week. Now, they're coming off a bye week. Can they beat A&M? Yeah, they can beat A&M, especially, you know, with, with Connor Wegman not playing. But I, I, I think right now, I got to think a little bit more about this one. But I think I would probably give A&M a slight edge there. They're going to play at Alabama. Now, Alabama is not, they're not great, but they're still probably the second best team in the SEC right now. And obviously, Alabama's going to be out for blood after last year. It's in Tuscaloosa. I don't expect them to win that game. At Kentucky's a game they could win. 
But I think Kentucky can knock them off. I, that's, a, that's a tricky spot for them. UConn, they'll win at Missouri. Right now, I expect Missouri to win that game. I, now, obviously, us going to Knoxville, that's going to be a crazy environment. It'll be a tough game. But I still would give us the edge there right now. And then Vanderbilt. So they got, they're at four wins right now. I definitely give them UConn. I definitely give them Vanderbilt. There's two guaranteed wins, though, guys. There's two guaranteed wins the rest of the way for Kentucky. Could they get A&M this weekend? Yeah, sure. Absolutely, they could get A&M this week. Could they win at Kentucky? Yeah, sure. Absolutely, they could get at Kentucky. I don't know if they get any more than that, guys. I mean, I think eight wins might be. I mean, could they win at Missouri? Yeah, I guess they could. But I think Missouri just Missouri is doing offensively what Tennessee did last year. To a, now, it's a different kind of offense, but they are the ones putting up those kind of numbers offensively. Tennessee is not putting up those kind of numbers, guys. They don't have the talent this year. They do not have those playmakers. So Tennessee's defense is good. They they have a solid defense. They were good last year. One of the more underrated aspects of their team last year. But it's their defense is not good enough to the point where it can compensate for the drop we've seen in their offensive production. So I've got Tennessee coming in just slightly above middle of the pack there, right about actually about middle of the pack at number seven. Coming in number six is the team that Tennessee has to play this week in Knoxville, the Texas A&M Aggies. I had A&M, I think I had them, yeah, I had them actually at number six in volume two as well. So they're sitting right there. This is a team that I thought was going to be Alabama. I'll be honest with you guys. I thought they're going to be Alabama this weekend. I thought that they could stop the Alabama rushing attack, which they did. They did exactly what I thought that they could do. I didn't think it would be a high-scoring game. They shut down the Bama running attack. A&M coming to the game was the best rush defense in the, in the league, guys, and they did a great job. They shut down a, a very good Bama rushing attack. What I did not expect to happen was Jalen Milrow throwing for 300 yards being able to face that man coverage, and they, get, they did exactly what I would have done to Alabama. I would have manned up, and I said, all right, beat me, and Give Milrow credit. He did. And that's the one thing that Milrow does well as a passer. If you give a man coverage on the outside, he can throw the ball up. He throws the deep ball pretty well. And what makes it easier for him in that regard, like, obviously, I think that's why you have to defend him to a degree because you got to stop the run games. That's really what they want to do. But if he doesn't, if he gets like single coverage on the outside like that, and it's just an obvious reason, not really going through progressions. And he just he just knows he has to throw it up there. He's got a good arm. He's got good arm talent. He can do that. And he did that all day. He did it all day against AM. And their secondary is not very good. I knew that their secondary was the weakness of their defense. I just thought that they would be good enough to be able to hold the Alabama pass, passing game in check. And they weren't. And that's why they ended up losing that game. But it's still a better AM team than they were last year. Pass defense is a problem. We saw Miami light them up. And, and Jalen Milrow, who hasn't lit anybody up, lit them up last, last night or yesterday afternoon, I should say. Max Johnson clearly does not have the ceiling of Connor Wegman, but he's about as good of a backup as there is in the SEC. He, he's a very, very solid player. I still think they have one of the best, if not the best, wide receiver units in the entire SEC. Their run game is up and down. They don't have Devon A-Chain this year, so that, that hurts a little bit. They have, a, they have three guys they like to use. Le'Veon Moss is a guy they used primarily yesterday, and he's fine. Amari Daniels has been a guy they used a lot as well. He's also pretty good, but they, they don't have an elite guy there right now. So the A&M is, is certainly improved from where they were a year ago. They're still not playing up to their overall talent level, though. I have them just outside the top five coming in at number six. Now, the biggest riser in volume four of these SEC power rankings, Gore UGA SEC power rankings, is the Missouri Tigers. And they have vaulted all the way up from number 12 up to number five. Now, the last rankings we did was before that they, if I remember correctly, it was before they played Kansas State. Actually, I know for a fact it was before they played Kansas State. So what was that? I guess heading into week three was the last time we did this. And I will defend that ranking, guys. I know obviously they're better than the 12th best team in the league right now. Obviously, I know that. That was that was not accurate. But at the time, 
based off the data points that we had at that time to work with, I think that was fair. That was right after they came off a win against Middle Tennessee State. That's a game they won 23-19. They outgained Middle Tennessee 316-285. to At that point, Brady Cook was still Brady Cook from last year. Now, since that point, starting in week three against Kansas State, that offense has taken off. And Brady Cook is the reason why that offense has taken off. Him and Luther Burton. They went for 430 total against Kansas State. It was a nice jump up. Threw for 350 in that game. And they have not looked back against uh, Memphis the following week. Now, that was also a tight game. You know, they only beat Memphis by a touchdown. But they put up 540 in that game, 341 passing. Vanderbilt, they put up another 350 or so passing. Actually, it was like 390 plus. It was almost 400 yards. And then this past week against LSU. Now, take that with a grain of salt. LSU secondary is just freaking awful. It's dreadful. But they put up 411 yards passing, 500 more total yards of offense. This offense is different. Kirby Moore came over from, from Fresno State, yes, brother of Kellen Moore, as offense coordinator, and has, has changed things. And Brady Cook has just gotten better, guys. He's just gotten better. He has. And Luther Burden right now is the best receiver in the SEC. They're using him in the slot, and that is where he should have been used last year. They had Lovick there last year, and Lovick was really good for them. But it's really hard to defend Luther Burden when he's coming out of the slot. You can't press him. He's a smaller, slighter guy, and that's just been a, a hellacious cover for anybody this year. He's been fantastic. Guy has like 700-plus yards receiving right now. And they're still good defensively. They're not as good as they were last year. But they've been good enough. And this is a team that I think when they come rolling into Athens later this year, I think there's a very realistic chance that they could be 8-1. and one. I really do. They've got Kentucky this week. They've got South Carolina the following week at home. I do think Kentucky can beat them. Kentucky gets them at home. They get them at night at home. So we'll see. I mean, that Kentucky defense is going to be challenged. We'll see what happens there. But... Missouri could absolutely win that game. If they win that game, they're going to be at South Carolina at home. They will be coming into Athens, coming off a bye, mind you. I guess it would be 7-1. Seven 7-1. And, and, and that game could very well be for the SEC East. So with that newfound offensive firepower and the defense that's still playing at a solid level, that's a good football team, guys. It's a good football team. And I have them all the way up vaulting into the top five, coming in at number five. Coming in at number four is a team that they just lost to. It was a thriller, man. It's a great game to watch. Everyone else in America was watching Texas OU. I was glued to the TV watching LSU-Missouri, watching every single snap of that. I went back and watched Texas OU after that, but I, I watched Mizzou-LSU, man. That was, that was a heck of a football game. But LSU is a tale of two sides of the ball right now, man. Offensively, they're the best offense in the SEC. Jane Daniels is playing lights out, man. Run the ball, throwing the ball. The dude is just unbelievable. When this guy takes off, I he's just so fast, man. Like it's almost deceptive at first. And he just is like cutting through everybody and just like destroying angles that guys have on him. It's crazy how fast he's now. He takes shots. But the dude can absolutely fly. He's throwing the ball really well right now. He's seeing the field well. Has two really good receivers to work with, the neighbors and Thomas. Logan Diggs, the transfer coming over from Notre Dame, has been really good from the running back. That was the one spot last year where they really weren't special offensively. I'm not saying he's special, but he's a big upgrade for them at that spot. He's been good at over 100 yards rushing against uh, Missouri. Really kind of just was running all over them. It certainly helps when you have Jaden Daniels that have to contend with in the ground game as well. But the ground game is really working. The pass game is working. Everything's working offensively. Defensively, and nothing working right now. Ole Miss put up 700 on them two weeks ago, 500 plus for, for Missouri this past weekend. 
the secondary is so bad, guys. It's they can't cover anyone. They sit, and it's crazy. It's DBU, right? At least in the conversation. Not right now. Not right now, man. It is a problem for them. And they're also not playing great up front, stopping the run. Now they 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 have Whit Weeks, who's a guy that's a freshman, played at Coney County High School. He's having to play inside linebackers, a true freshman right now. He's not really ready. The guy they had, Spates, transferred from um, from Oregon State last year. He's a really good football player. He's been banged up all year. Came back in Ole Miss, got knocked out in that game again. And it's been a problem. The front, though, with Wingo and Mason Smith, I expected far more from them. They have not been playing very well. They haven't been disrupted. They haven't been, just haven't been doing their job consistently. So that has just been a problem for them. They can't stop anybody right now. So I, I can't put them high. Their offense is the best offense in the league right now. They should, by virtue of that, should be number one. But their defense is so bad. It's so bad right now. I can't have them higher than number four. So I got LSU at number four. Coming in at number three, I got the Ole Miss Rebels who just beat LSU two weeks ago. Now, do I think Ole Miss is unequivocally better than LSU? Well, no, I don't. I know they just beat LSU two weeks ago, but that was at home. If they play on a neutral site, I mean, I think LSU probably beats them six or seven times. But right now, and I know these are powering, so I could have LSU ahead of Ole Miss, but that defense is so bad. Ole Miss's defense is better, and Ole Miss's offense is not that far behind LSU's. It's comparable-ish, and maybe if they played 10 times, it'd be five and five. They'd split them, maybe. I don't know, but ever so slight edge to Ole Miss here. I guess the signing factor is they did beat LSU. I think it's neck and neck between those two teams, so I'll give Ole Miss the slight edge here because they did win head-to-head, even though it was at home, and it was a, man, it was a heck of a football game. They had to pull that one out late, but Ole Miss is... It's a good team, man. They they play. We know they play good offensive football. Now Arkansas gave them some trouble, but that was a that was a, a letdown spot coming off that big win against LSU. Defensively, though, that's the thing with Ole Miss. They're not great. They're not great. Don't get me wrong. I'm not telling you that Ole Miss's defense is lights out. They're not. But considering where they have come from in the early parts of the Lane Kiffin tenure, there, how bad they were. His first year was one of the worst defenses in SEC history. They were so so bad. They're still not great, but Pete Golding has done what I thought Pete Golding would do. He has changed up the scheme. He has changed up the mentality, the mindset. They're far more aggressive. They were very passive the past couple of years playing this 3-3-5 and they're just getting run all over. It's not happening now. They're not great. They don't have great personnel right now. J.J. Pease is a good disruptive guy on the, on the interior. They play hard. They're playing more disciplined. They're playing smarter football, getting more aggressive football. So they're better defensively. They're still not where they need to be, but they don't have to be. It's what we've always said about Ole Miss. It's like defense, like if their defense can just be like, okay, with that offense, they can be a really good football team. And that's what we're seeing right now. I still contend if, if they were fully healthy at receiver and if Quinshot Juckins was fully healthy against Alabama, even though that was in Tuscaloosa, they could have won that football game. They could have won that football game. They didn't. You know, it is what it is. You know, guys get injured. We've been dealing with injuries all year. But I don't think there's a massive gap right now between Alabama and Ole Miss. I think Alabama is a better football team. They are. That's why I have them ranked higher. But Ole Miss is, is good, man. It's a good football team. If they got Alabama at home and they were healthy, I think they could have beaten Alabama. I mean, they could even beat them in Tuscaloosa. They could have. But it wasn't meant to be. They didn't have the players they needed to have in that game, and Albion was able to pull it out. But Ole Miss is a good team. I got them coming in at number three. And then finally, you know who's in the top two. This is about as anticlimactic as it gets. This has been the top two the last couple editions. And I just realized something, actually. I think I keep calling this volume four of the Glory UJ SEC Power Rankings. That is not accurate. This is volume three. That is what happens when you record multiple episodes in one night, back to back to back like this. 
you start to lose your mind. But hey, I do it for the people. But anyway, this is volume three, not volume four, as I have been saying, volume three of our Glory UJ SEC Power Rankings. And the top two have been the top two. If I had to project, it will probably remain the top two through the rest of the regular season. And that, of course, is Alabama and your University of Georgia Bulldogs with the Crimson Tide coming at number two and Georgia coming in at number one. Now, I do think earlier in the season, you could have made an argument that Georgia maybe shouldn't have been number one. I was pretty open talking about how I felt that we were not playing like the best team in the country, but I felt that we had the pieces and the pedigree to develop into that by season's end, and that's how I justify keeping us atop the rankings. And honestly, I didn't think that there was another team that was meriting knocking us out of that top spot. Alabama wasn't playing like that. LSU wasn't playing like that. Ole Miss wasn't quite there yet. So maybe you can say that we were number one by default, but after Saturday's performance against Kentucky, I think that we did remind everyone just why we are number one in the SEC still in these Glory UJ SEC power rankings. That was the performance that we had been waiting for. It's still at this point, I would say it's still the anomalous performance. It's not the rule yet. I hope it becomes that. My position for a couple of weeks now, at least heading into last week's game, was just survive in advance. You guys heard me say that many, many times in the past couple of weeks. Survive in advance, deal with the injuries, find out what you are, figure out your identity, get into the bye week, get healthy, don't slip up before then, get in that bye week, then you head into the back half of the slate, which is when things get real, and hopefully by then we are clicking on all cylinders, and by then we are the best team in the country, and unquestionably the best team in the SEC. However, with that performance on Saturday night against the Wildcats, I think there's a real chance that we might be a little bit ahead of schedule. Again, I need to see us do it consistently right now. Again, it is it is the exception right now. We have Vanderbilt this week. Hopefully, we can build on that. We go into the bye week. We got Florida. Then we got Missouri, which is a tough football team. Then we've got Ole Miss, Tennessee. You guys know the slate down the stretch. If we can take what we did Saturday night and harness that and make that who we are and not just who we were that one night in, in early October, like I said on the recap episode, then there is absolutely zero question about it. We are the best team in the SEC. And I think right now, I would lean towards that direction. Does that mean that we're going to play at that high of level every single game? Probably not. But we've seen what this team can be. We've seen that potential. And I will say the way that we played Saturday night, there's no other team in the SEC that has played like that yet to this point in the season. And here's the kicker, guys. I don't think we're done yet. I don't think we're done getting better. I don't think we're done improving. Lad McConkie's still not really a factor right now, guys. We still don't have a Marius Mims in the lineup. We've still got a young corner growing up out there. We just got Kendall Milton back kind of healthy-ish. Ra-Ra Thomas is just now starting to emerge. Dominic Lovett still has not broken out yet. Yeah, I think a lot like Ra-Ra, he's still making adjustments to this offense. It's not as big of a jump going from the Missouri offense last year to our offense as it was for Ra-Ra going from that air raid Mississippi State to what we run. But I think it's still been clearly an adjustment. So there is still so much room for improvement on this team. And I think that is the scary thing. And if you know Kirby Smart, guys... You know one thing, this man will never rest. We are going to get better. Now, are we going to be good enough to win a national title? That certainly still remains to be seen. Although, if you look around the rest of the country, the national landscape, I don't know who the obvious team is that is going to, to be better than us. Maybe it's Michigan. Maybe it's it's Washington. Maybe a team like that. But I haven't seen that team that's just head and shoulders above better than us right now. I haven't seen that team that should be clearly the favorite over us. And if I still think our best football is ahead of us, that's a very good sign. So I definitely have us still at number one, a top 
our volume three Glory UJ SEC power rankings. Alabama's a good football team, guys. They are they are also improving. I will give them credit. Jalen Milrow is getting better. Now, with Milrow, the thing with him is, as I said earlier, there are things he does exceptionally well. The guy is a an incredible athlete, just unbelievable athlete. When he runs the football, that guy, I mean, he looks like a, just a freaking horseman running out there. I mean, that, that's horsepower, dude. And he is not a polished passer. He is not a polished passer at all. He struggles to go through progressions. He struggles in the short to intermediate range. He struggles with accuracy in that part of the game. But throwing the deep ball is something he does well. When he sees one-on-one coverage out there, when teams want to stack the box and force them to beat, him, beat them through the air, with that vertical shot, if he can take that shot, that's where he excels. And that's what against Texas A&M. Now, I think there are ways to kind of counteract that and and still be able to defend their run game and also make him go through some more progressions than what A&M made him go through. But Alabama, a lot like us, is kind of figuring out who they are. Now, who they are offensively is very different than who we are offensively right now because the personnel is just different. We are clearly better at quarterback in terms of throwing the football down the field. Now, defensively, Alabama is awesome. They are very, very talented. I do think their inside linebackers leave something to be desired. They are good rushing the passer. They're really good in the secondary. I think that's the strength of their defense right now. Dallas Turner is playing at a higher level than he ever has at any point in his Alabama career. He's always been a good pass rusher. He's defending the run better now than he has in the past. Jaheim Otis is a really good interior defensive lineman. That's a good defensive football team. But I will go back to what I said a few minutes ago. That win at AM. It's a really good win for Alabama. But I have still not seen them play anywhere close to the level that we saw from Georgia last Saturday night against Kentucky. I have not seen that from Bama. Now, we've both had some duds. Like Our, our game against Auburn, that was a dud, man. We're, we're better than that. I mean, that's, that's crazy. South Carolina, the first half, kind of a dud. We know what happened with, with Alabama at South Florida. Absolutely a dud. But while Alabama has played at a high level defensively for most of the year, offensively, they're still just far more of a work in progress than we are right now. And we are a better quarterback. And that just so happens to be the most important position on the field. All right, guys. Well, there you have it. There is volume three, not volume four, volume three of our Glory UGA SEC Power Rings. And we, when we get back from this final break, I will give you guys a quick overview of the Vanderbilt Commodores. We don't want to completely ignore the doors. But let me remind you guys about our great friends at Alumni Hall. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but the weather is starting to change. Finally, thank God. We have a couple of weeks here of like maybe actually legitimate fall weather, which we used to have a couple months of, not so much anymore. But hey, enjoy it while it lasts. But when the weather changes like this, guys, you need to get prepared. You need to go to Alumni Hall and get the latest fall and winter UGA gear, that cold weather gear. It's hitting shelves right now. They got some nice fleeces for you guys to choose from. The hoodies are hitting the shelves. I'm kind of a hoodie guy myself. New jackets are out there. I got a really nice bomber jacket a couple of weeks ago, actually. So I'm ready to go. So make sure you guys get yourselves prepared by picking up the latest cold weather gear at Alumni Hall whether it's in-store, inside the Expert Shopping Center, or online at alumnihall.com, make sure you stop by Alumni Hall because that is where the Bulldogs shop. All right, guys, let's talk about the Vanderbilt Commodores, at least for a few minutes here. Let's show them a little bit of respect, a modicum of respect. And believe it or not, despite the fact that they have not won an SEC game yet, and they're probably not going to win five games like they did last year, almost certainly will not win five games like they did a year ago, the Vanderbilt Commodores statistically are actually slightly better than they were last year. They were dead last in almost every major SEC statistical category last year or, or close to it. This year, they're not dead last. They're, they're, they're kind of close to it, but they're not dead last. Offensively, they're 10th in the league at 368 yards per game. They they don't really do anything especially well, but they do have a couple of playmakers that are legit SEC players. Will Shepard is 
awesome, guys. He's a really, really good SEC receiver. In fact, I'm shocked that he's still on that team. I'm shocked he did not transfer after last year. Good for him. He's fifth in the league right now, guys. Fifth in the SEC in receiving yards with 550 yards receiving. I think he's actually second in the SEC in touchdowns. Yeah, he's second behind Brian Thomas with eight. One touchdown behind Brian Thomas, eight touchdowns on the year, receiving touchdowns on the year. This guy is doing that at Vanderbilt. With the issues they've had at quarterback, with now Kenny Seals, yes, I thought he was dead. I thought he was gone. Didn't know that guy was still a thing anymore. He is still around. They have kind of benched A.J. Swan, who's the young guy that they're high on. He shows some flashes being a really good quarterback. Now, ostensibly, he's been dealing with some injuries. He has been banged up, but right now, it seems like they're just benching him because he just turns the ball over like crazy. That guy is just a turnover machine. He puts their offense in really, really bad situations. And Kenny Seals does not have the ceiling of A.J. Swan, but he's also making better decisions with the football, and he's not handicapping their offense. But back to the original point. Will Shepard is legit. He is a legitimate SEC Cobra receiver and a good one at that. He's tall, he's long, he's got good speed, good hands. He's got what you want at that position in this league. That's a guy that we have got to be prepared to stop. And then the other guy that they have offensively that is a playmaker waiting to happen is a little dude named Jaden McGowan. This guy's like 5'8", a buck 65-ish. But the guy is electric with the ball in his hands. And they will try to get him the ball in a variety of ways. They'll get him the ball in the screen game, in the pass game. They'll hand the ball on fly sweeps. They'll get him involved in the return game. But this guy's a space operator, man. They want to get him in space, and they want to let him go to work and make you miss and create explosive plays. And that's what this guy does. He's not a guy that's going to get a ton of touches, but when he gets touches, he has the ability to take it to the house on any given play. And it's really those two guys that have Vanderbilt out of the cellar when it comes to their offense this year. And with guys like McGowan and Shepard, this is a solid passing offense. They're middle of the pack. They're not great, but... It's better than they were where they were. If you look at where they were last year throwing the football, they were 13th in the league. They were 13th. They played Mike Wright a lot, who was a great runner, but could not throw the ball to save his life. A.J. Swan played some, was also banged up last year. They throw the ball a lot better than they did last year. They have two good receivers to work with. They're averaging 275 yards a game through the air, and you know traditionally if we have had issues defensively, it's been against the pass game. Now, I do not expect the variable pass game to be the type of pass game that is going to give us all those kinds of issues, but Will Shepard is good. He is a legitimately good receiver in the Gowan, if you're not ready for him, if you let this guy operate in space, he can he can take the ball and put six on the board real quick. The issue for the Vanderbilt offense is the offensive line. It's it's absolutely abysmal, guys. That offensive line is not SEC caliber. I don't even know if it's like G5 caliber. It's more like FCS caliber. They are so bad on the lines of scrimmage. That goes for both sides of the ball, but especially on the offensive line, which is a big reason why they are 124th nationally in rushing yards per game. They average under 100 yards rushing. They only average 3.49 yards per rush. They just cannot run the football, guys, and that's not going to change against us. That's what we do best. We saw that against Kentucky last weekend. They're not going to run the football. They're not going to they're going to try, but they're not going to be able to they'll try enough. They're going to try to throw the ball on us more than anything cuz that's what they do well. And you know, again, our, our our defense if we've had any sort of issues over the past couple of years, it has been against really good passing offense. Now, this is not a really good passing offense, but it's what they do best. So I can imagine they're going to try to lean on that even if it's Kenny Seals back there, who is not a dynamic passer, but he's he's a smart guy. He's been around for a long time. He's a senior now. He started for a couple of years for them. He was supposed to be that next guy for them. And then it kind of just fell apart for him. He started to make some mistakes and just kind of fell out of favor there 
And then they, they make the change and bring in Clark Lee. And Clark Lee wanted to go his direction with Mike White. Then Mike White, he realized, couldn't throw the football. And then it's A.J. Swan. A.J. Swan is just a, is a turnover machine. I mean, guys, Seals did not play at all last year. That's why I, I was joking. I thought he was dead. Not dead. That's terrible to say. But he was MIA. He is not around. Like, where is this guy? I thought he was off the team. I didn't want to pay attention to him anymore. It was like not even a thought. But, you know, then you see A.J. Swan struggle this year. It's like, oh, Kenny Seals in the game. It's like, what, that guy? He's still around? Yes, he's still around. And he's grown up a little bit. He's still not great. He's still not great. But he's smarter. He's making better decisions with the football. And that has their, their offense at least not constantly shooting itself in the foot like it was in the early part of the season. But the fact remains, their offense line is very bad, and it's going to be very difficult for them to get anything going offensively against us. I know our defensive line, we don't have a guy like Jalen Carter, but we're still playing at a really high level, and they just simply are not equipped to handle that kind of front right now. Now, defensively, again, like their offense, they're slight shades better than they were last year. They were not dead last in the SEC last year. I think they were 13th in the SEC, giving up 461 yards a game. This year, they're giving about 420 a game, so again... Not much better, but slightly better. I guess progress steps in the right direction, which is all Clark Lee can ask for at this point. But they still aren't especially good at anything defensively. And it goes back to what I said. It's just like the offensive line defensively on their on their defensive line. They're not good. They're, they're just not SEC caliber. They're just simply not. They're giving up 157 yards a game on the ground. They're giving up 4.7 yards per rush right now. They're slightly better against the pass, but I mean, we're talking very minimal shades here. We're talking 263 yards a game allow, 15 touchdowns are given up through the air at this point. Now, I will give them credit here. If there's one thing they have been good at defensively is forcing turnovers. They have eight picks on the year, and they're second in the league with 10 total takeaways. But here's the problem. Remember I told you A.J. Swan's a turnover machine? It's hard to imagine that when you are second in the league in takeaways, they got 10 takeaways on the year through the first half of the season, but they are last, dead last in the SEC in turnover margin. Why? Because they've turned the ball over 13 times. To give you an idea of just how bad that is at this point in the season, the next closest team, Texas A&M, Texas A&M and Auburn, they have turned the ball over eight times. They have turned the ball over, Vandy has turned the ball over five times more than the next closest team in the league. So if you're wondering why they only have a handful of wins, a couple of wins on this season, that's why. That is the problem. They could have beaten Wake Forest. They had some really, really bad turnovers in that game, and A.J. Swan was the primary culprit there. That cost them the game. They could have beaten UNLV. I watched that game. Yes, I subjected myself to that. I watched that game. And Vandy was up early in that game, and then what did they do? They started turning the ball over. And next thing you know, they lose a lead, and the next thing you know, they lose the game. They turned the ball over four times, four times against UNLV, and they lost by a field goal. I go back to that Wake Forest game. I know you might look at that final score, and if you didn't watch the game, and say, well, Tyler, like, how can you say they, they could have won that game? They lost by 16 points. They lost by two-plus touchdowns. How can you possibly say they could have won that game? Well, because on the first drive of the game, they threw a pick on the third play inside their own territory at the Vanderbilt 31, and Wake Forest converted that into points. Later in the game, they foamed the football, and Wake Forest picked the ball up and ran that back for a touchdown. And then right before half, what did A.J. Swan do? Yep, he threw another pick at the Vandy 39. I'm telling you guys, turnovers have been the biggest issue for Vandy this year. They're not a good football team. They're not. I'm not trying to build them and say that they are something that they're not. But this is a team that 
could right now, they've played seven games, by the way, which should probably work in our favor because remember they played week zero. They have played, this will be their eighth straight football game without a bye week. They have the bye week after this week, just like we do. So this has got to be a tired, worn out football team at this point. But this team could easily be four and three right now, easily be four and three, but they're not because they turn the football over. And we do have a common opponent. So the one team that we have both played at this point is Kentucky. Now, we just completely destroyed Kentucky. We know that. We just watched that. Now, Vanderbilt, on the flip side, got, I don't want to say destroyed, but they got beat fairly handily with the final score against Kentucky. But if you watch the game, yeah, the game was 45-28, but that doesn't really tell you the full story of that game. Once again, Vanderbilt had four turnovers in that game against Kentucky. If you look at the total yardage margin, Kentucky outgained Vandy 365-328. to Kentucky did not dominate that game play in and play out, down in and down out. Vandy just gave the game away. And that was kind of the final straw for A.J. Swan. The dude was 16 to 40, 189, 4.7 yards per attempt, zero touchdowns, three picks. At that point, it's like, okay, we can't do this anymore. He threw two pick sixes in that game. So yeah, 45-28, but without the two pick sixes, was that 31-28? They played Kentucky close. Like on a down in, down out basis, they played the Wildcats really close. So again, I'm not trying to tell you that Vandy's a good football team. They're not because they turn the ball over so much, but they're not as bad as their record would indicate, and they are taking strides. They are getting better from where they were a year ago and even two years ago. They are starting to see the dividends here with Clark Lee. This guy is going to have this team at a respectable level sooner rather than later. They're not quite there yet because they haven't figured out the quarterback situation. That's what it comes down to. But when and if they do ever figure that situation out, I think this is a team that can be a a 6-7-8 win type team on a pretty regular basis, especially now with how they're kind of pouring into this program finally. I know, I mean, this is a disaster this weekend. It's going to be so ridiculous with the situation at that stadium and there's no seats available basically because they're taking out so many of what was already a small stadium and the construction looks ridiculous. The scoreboard situation is so ridiculous. But they, they're they they're starting to actually invest in their program. So give them some time. If they're patient with Clark Lee, which I think that they will be because they seem to really buy into what he's doing there, I think that they can get this to a respectable level. They're just not quite there yet. But there you go, guys. That is your Vanderbilt game preview, your mini Vanderbilt game preview. I, I didn't want to completely ignore the doors. We got we got to talk about them a little bit there. So for all you uh, hardcore fans out there, which is what you are if you listen to this show, I know even though it's Vandy, you, you want to hear what's going down. So I want to give you at least a little taste of that. But that's it for me today, guys. And like by it, I mean that is it. This is my third show in 24 hours in one day. So I've got it done for you guys. Charlie will be back with me tomorrow and I'll be recording an early version of our week seven picks of the week. I know you won't be listening to this until Wednesday night, maybe Thursday, Friday, whenever you get to it. But I hope you guys are having a great week. I hope you guys, if you're making it out to Nashville for the game, you enjoy your trip to Nashville. And I'll be back one more time later this week. But thank you guys for being here. Appreciate it. I'm Tyler. And of course, as always, go dogs. <laughs>